Today, we're talking to Chris Wolf, Sales Vice President at PTC, about moonshot visions, women in technology, and more. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. Hey. Hey, Joel. Look at that studio. Fancy, right? Is this your personal office? This is, uh, no, I'm in the PTC headquarters building in Boston. It's a signature building right on the seaport of Boston, which is amazing because we're a 30-year-old company. And if you walked in here, you would think you were working for a startup. Yeah. Very cool. How did you get into podcasting? I just got asked, invited to host our Speaking of Service podcast, which was has been a blast. I had never been in a studio before. I had never, you know, used any of this equipment, but I love talking with people. And it just, you know, one thing led to another. So we're about 18 episodes in. We've got a ways to hit your 700. <laughs> you got to go at least past 25. I think 99% of podcasts don't make it past that number. Okay. Have you been enjoying it though? Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. And the team makes it easy. They make it fun for me. And I get to feel like a big shot. I know my mom watches the podcast. Aww. So I have at least one regular viewer. What's the most memorable episode so far? It's a great question. We uh, recorded one with a guy whose company is called Santamatic. And they bring industrial cleaning equipment to places that need industrial equipment cleaned. Imagine a pharmaceutical facility. Also imagine someplace with, you know, producing dairy products, milking cows. And literally, they clean everything from pharmacy equipment, you know, syringe makers, all the way down to milk trucks. And it's an amazing, smart and connected business. And in the past, they made their, they made their money on selling these cleaning pieces. And now they deliver cleaning as a service. So the servitization that's happened there of all places in, you know, the dairy farmland that is interesting. And so what's the name of the podcast? Let's give it a shout out. It's called Speaking of Service. And when you go to that page, you'll see the Santamatic episode linked there. All right. So you're doing the show. You're enjoying it. Do you have control over it? Do you get to pick the editorial calendar? How does that all work? I'm just the face and the voice, but I get to ask questions and I challenge my audience and not just the audience, but the presenters Anyone who can get the word bumblebee conversationally into the conversation we have, for every one of those bumblebee instances, I give $10 to Girls Who Code. Okay. So if we say bumblebee a bunch, we'll get $10. If you say bumblebee a bunch, $10 to Girls Who Code. Or in the comments or in the questions. And that's because I have a passion for trying to get women and girls into tech. And unlike you as a software developer, I tell them you don't need to be a techie to be in the tech world. We need people who can translate very arcane topics into languages that mere mortals can understand. They need Mm. to be bolder about coming into our industry. So be bold was the original hashtag. And now it's Bumblebee. I like that. You know, I haven't heard that perspective before. Typically, it's just make all the girls programmers. But I like this idea that you're showing that there's a lot of different areas you can be in inside of the tech industry. Tell me more about that. That's like our customers. Uh, Today, just about everything ships with a screen included. In the old days, you know, you would order those things separately or as an add-on product. But now if you're buying a tractor from John Deere or you're buying a piece of medical equipment from Carl Zeiss, they're all coming with a screen and a keyboard, everything's smart and connected. 
So that means people who are using those machines, farmers, med techs, doctors, hospital administrators, need to understand cybersecurity. They need to understand the business benefits of connecting things that weren't previously connected, the pros and cons of that, and then the systems that will feed data upstream from the design of those machines down into the way the machine operates and how we can collect data off of those complex machines and send the learnings from those data bits back up to the designers to improve their designs. The ability for non-technical people to explain that in English as opposed to a programmer who might get into a lot of the weeds means that we can help executives make decisions differently. And so what do you get to do all day? I work with our partners. Uh, PTC doesn't make anything come to life. We make software, but it's implementation partners who help our customers understand their business opportunity, where our software can fit in. They help get it deployed up and running. I call that the surgical insertion of the technology, the surgery piece. But after any surgery you've had, you rely on the occupational therapist to help you use your new technology safely. Then you have a physical therapist who makes you use it until it hurts, until you get used to that pain, the pain goes away. And you may have a new lease on life after that where you join a gym or run a marathon. Our partners span that whole eventuality of deciding you need a fix, having the fix inserted, learning to use it safely, and then giving a new lease on life to whatever business process you're using. So these are large companies like Accenture. They're also boutique companies that have expertise in CAD computer-aided design, for example. That's pretty neat. And how did you... Yeah. How did I end up here? Yeah. I had spent 18 years working for a networking company headquartered in Johannesburg. If you think about the Hewlett Packard of South Africa Mm -hmm. 35 years ago, when apartheid was happening, all the tech companies pulled out of South Africa for all the right reasons. And this local company grew to fill that void and provide the large corporates infrastructure went on to make a lot of money, very successful, and expanded into the U.S. And I spent 18 years working for this company when we went from 1,000 people in South Africa to almost 18,000 people around the world. And in the course of doing that, we were acquired and headquarters moved to London. I wasn't going to leave Boston to live in London. And I started looking at companies that had a real interest in the Internet of Things, headquartered close to Boston, with great people and great offices, close, easy commute. And PTC was all of those things at the time, headquartered in a sleepy suburb of Boston called Needham. Mm -hmm. Tried very hard to get a job there, did not succeed, was recruited to Dell. But I sent my 21-year-old daughter to work for PTC as a result of that interview process. She's still here, and she recruited me to come back. Now we're in this beautiful signature Seaport office, and I'm loving it. It's kind of a fun story. So I just have to wait for my kids to get a little older. <laughs> right. And be interested in following in your footsteps. I'm interested. Yeah. My my thoughts on my kids are I want them, the requirement is they have to find something that they're really, really good at and they have to do it very well. And then aside from that, I have to teach them how to make money and how a business deal, ha- they, I want them to see everything from how a pitch deck happens to contracting, all of that. So at least they have the skill. It's like taking your kids out in the 1700s and teaching them how to hunt. They might find somebody that hunts. They might do it differently or go to the grocery store eventually, but at least they know how to hunt, right? So that's that's my job. Teach them how to hunt. 
and then have them find something they're interested in and then making them stick with it when they want to quit. <laughs> Do you have boys or girls or both? Both. Yeah. I've got one girl. She's the leader of the tribe right now. She's six. And then I've got a four-year-old boy and a one-year-old boy. So when you fam- when you sit down for a family meal somewhere, who's, <laughs> who's floppy fish all over the floor and who's eating carefully and using their knife and fork correctly? Uh, if you were to take an average of all times going out to eat, because it depends on their moods, but more often than not, Lachlan, the boy, he's, he's floppy fish guy. And then Aria's usually, Aria will sit still better. Like when we, we homeschool him. So we'll take that example. Homeschooling, I could say Aria, well, she'll wake up and ask me, hey, can I do work? Can I do schoolwork? Can I have my workbook? I'm like, yeah, here you go. Someday she doesn't, but someday she does. Lachlan wakes up and it's like the movie Gladiator or 300 where he's cannonballing on me at four in the morning, wanting to fight daddy. Can we fight? No, no, it's 4.30 in the morning. Like, and then all day I get attacked, surprise attacked. (laughs) There's a great podcast, a lady named Dr. Heidi Halverson out of Columbia University. She spoke about how girls learn quickly how to please people and how to be good. And they're congratulated for being good. Look at what a good job you're doing, working on your schoolwork, sitting quietly. Boys are taught to just try and be a little bit better. Please, Lachlan, could you just try and use stillness in your body just this once? Go for two minutes. So girls learn very quickly to be good, and that becomes binary. You're either good or you're not good, and they become risk-averse. Whereas Mm. boys are taught, doesn't matter how bad I am, as long as I'm just a little bit better, no matter how hard I fail, if I get better every time, I can I can improve. That's a growth mindset. You'll find that girls are often socialized into that narrow-minded, be good mindset. Boys are raised with, socialized with a, with a uh, growth mindset. And I see that limiting women's interest in joining the technology world. They say, if I don't know how to code, I won't be good at that job. I said, now you don't have to know how to code. You don't even have to be good at this job. Just come and get in the water and just get a little bit better every time. Mm. And I think that's it also applies to users of emerging technology. We have mixed generations working with our software. And the self-consciousness about being good, particularly for executives, very high. If you've ever seen somebody try and turn on a video conference piece of equipment, they're an executive they invariably have somebody come in and do it for them because they don't want to look like they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> That's funny. It's true. And yeah. yet junior people, don't, they can try as many times as they need to until they get it right. So I think the more and more senior we get making big decisions, the more afraid we are to make the wrong decision, that we don't have the confidence to lean into some of these new technologies. And that's where people at PTC really help our customers connect what the technology can do with the business requirement and give them the confidence to lean in and make a decision. You know, I've never heard that argument, that explanation, that discussion that you just said. It sounds incredibly logical. And it's almost, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say stuff and then you correct me. So that way I can better understand it if I understand. So would you say that girls they naturally want to please people more, therefore fall into that good or not good trap? And then boys like don't care and just want to fight. So we're just like, as long as they improve or whatever. Uh, is that what is that something that's happening or no? Did I get that wrong? I'm probably defying all kinds of applying all kinds of gender normative models yeah. to this, right? And that's not care. what I'm intending. But there, there are people who learn to be pleasers early, 
Ooh, and yeah. if you want to be a pleaser, regardless of your gender, you will learn how to please people and learn how to be good. And the desire to be good can lead you to you know, narrow your focus so you only do the oh. things you know you'll be good at. You become less risk-seeking, less experiment-seeking, and you may learn less, you may grow less, and you limit your choices for fear. Whereas people who don't have that concern and are taught, look, just try and be a little bit better today, are raised with that affirmation for experimentation, risk-taking, and just trying. And if you fail, so what? Just try again next time. And those people broaden their horizons as they grow. Yeah. No, you're 100% true. I, I'm one of the people that I look for the best arguments. I've got somebody told me way long ago, he goes, you want to have strong views that are loosely held. So you want to be passionate and believe in what you believe, but when better information comes along, you want to be able to switch your views and change. So I'm always curious because you've said a number of things that are kind of interesting. And you're right. Like the conversation so quickly diverges from gender specific to just personality. Cause I know boys who are quieter, you know, and I know girls who are louder. And so, but there is, there is like the 80, 20 situation, but like Aria, she is a wild monkey too. It's just that she, I, when I'm looking at them, I'm not sitting there like trying to shape them or be intentional. What I'm trying to figure out is, okay, I have an app. They're my little AI algorithm. <laughs> they shipped with some default capabilities. Because uh, I see how, what a nerd I am. I'm like, all right, what type of AI, like what's the default capabilities? And then how can I help that thing mature in the way that's easy for it? Well, since Ari is really cool about sitting down and doing work, awesome. I'm going to keep feeding her education, materials. I'm going to help her grow that way. Lachlan wants to fight and punch. So I enroll him into, he takes ninja class. He's going into yeah. ninja class. And you could just as easily have a girl who's more physical and doesn't want to sit. And you could just as easy have a boy who doesn't want to be physical and he wants to sit. But I just look at them for the individuals that they are. And I'm like, all right, how do I help develop this person? Because I see my job as a parent, not to make this the parenting podcast, but I see my job as the parent as to get them to self-sufficiency. Like I'm supposed to get them to self-sufficiency and still positive family values. And ultimately the goal is to get them out on their own, right? Or to get them to use their powers for good. Oh, there you go. That's a good one. Yeah. There's a great book called Bedtime Stories for Rebel Girls. Ooh, I'm writing that one down. Two women in Europe went to the library and they had their daughter remove all the books where there was no female character. Or if there mm -hmm. was a female character, she didn't speak. Or if she spoke, she was supported with a merry cast of rabbits and birds and mice. And when they looked at the number of books left on the shelf, it was embarrassingly thin. They started writing bedtime stories for rebel girls about girls and women who'd done badass things and been successful. And they have a series of, I think, 90 stories in this first edition. And they've had several other editions since. So it's my favorite gift to give to people who have new babies, boys and girls. That is interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I like when people see the world and they do that experiment and then they think, okay, I'm drawn to this. I'm passionate about this. Here's a deficit. I'm going to fill it. I don't like people who say they do all of that work and then they're just like, well, now I'm going to complain about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like people who do things. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you're a wealth of knowledge. What other type of brilliant insight do you have? <laughs> 
Gosh, well, we should be we should be thinking a little bit about technology, shouldn't we? I mean, that's yeah. Are you familiar with PTC or the category of software that we make? I I couldn't well, spell PTC before I joined the company, so. No, why don't you help me understand? There's a lot of acronyms out there and they all have 100,000 employees and make billions of dollars. Why don't you help me understand exactly what they do? So I'll give $10 to Girls Who Code if you can define without looking it up what parametric means as it relates to parametric geometry. What does parametric mean? Yes. Well. So you understand parameters. Yeah. Let's say that we're going to build a treehouse for your kids. Yeah. What are the parameters of that treehouse? What should the geometry of that treehouse look like? Okay. What are the attributes of the components that go into that treehouse? Some uh-huh. of them need to be strong. Some of them need to be soft. Some of them need to be flexible. There are different parameters that apply to the design of any thing. Now, instead of a treehouse, let's say it's the Blue Origin space shuttle. Uh-huh and all of the components that go into that, and then all the very particular parameters for each component that goes into that rocket ship. Being able to design something complex and collaborate with other people around the parameters that may be changing is the use of parametric technology in computer-aided design. Our company was called Parametric Technologies Corporation because 30 years ago we created, or really revolutionized the category of designing 3D equipment using parametric geometry. And I'm a history degree. I I had never heard of what parametric technology was until our CEO started telling stories like this where it makes sense. So now you think about, um, instead of building a treehouse, I'm gonna build a blender. Let's pretend Mm -hmm. your dream blender. What What would the characteristics of that blender be? It would be sleek. I I like the uh, MacBook style exterior feel. Uh, okay. And then, of course, that would be from the aesthetics perspective. And I would argue that that is the most important. I am a heavily visual person. So I'd say that, that that matters first and foremost. I'll look for something I like, and then I'll work backwards from that for functionality. And then it would have all the functionality to be able to to blend stuff. I personally don't use... <laughs> Blenders, but I see my kids. They uh, they they make um homemade ice cream from time to time, and I think they use the blender for that. Okay, so it need to be child safe. It would need to be sleek. Would you want the ability to turn it on or off, put it in safe mode or open mode remotely? Maybe with software. No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not remotely. I I actually we had a lightning strike and lost all the electronics in our house and I had to replace them all. It's actually kind of difficult to find fridges or ovens or washing machines that aren't paired Bluetooth and digital over the internet. So perfect. We make yours a hand crank. Maybe with some rock salt. Yes. There we go. I'm liking it. So we've designed this and we've given you a 3D sketch pad, if you will, and you've created the look and feel and functionality of this design as an engineer. Now you need to send it off to be manufactured. How are you going to take what's in your mind's eye and make sure that what comes out of a factory resembles what you had initially intended? So that's what you, you guys do? You'll take that and make it reality? We do. We take that gleam in the eye of an engineer and then think about every variation instead of a hand cranked ice cream machine. Maybe next year you turn it into an electric machine, or maybe you have one that's got special powers. All of the information, kind of birth certificate information and the medical record of that machine over its entire lifetime is captured in a big database. 
so that if you need to repair that machine sometime in the future, you would know where to source the parts, what types of materials are involved. You could even provide instructions from the designer on things you should be aware of if you're going to put hands on this machine to repair it. We provide a digital thread that connects the, the gleam in the eye of the designer to the manufacturer of the particular unit or even individual of that unit all the way out into the field where it needs to be repaired by somebody with smart hands, but the ear of God talking to them over the over their microphone or their sketching on their screen to enable them to provide that repair in an informed way. Uh, we call that the digital thread. So connecting that data from the gleam in the eye to the you know the guy with the with the wrench out in the middle of nowhere providing a repair. Wow. So. Tell me a little bit more. It's like, let's say you take a AutoCAD and then you put it into what your P- PTC proprietary system and it tr- it's basically a giant Git repo tracking everything and communicating with everyone. Kind of, but we're open systems based, standards based. So people write to and draw data from our systems. We are in the categories of CAD, as you mentioned, like AutoCAD would be an easy, it'd be a consumer grade version of what we build for industrial engineers. We have a product lifecycle management system, which is that mega database of everything that goes into and out of every iteration of these machines that are reflected from the designs. Then we have an Internet of Things platform where people develop applications to run smart and connected devices, whether it's in a factory or once they're out in the real world, and an augmented reality system that allows a user with a screen to look at a camera image and snap on the CAD diagrams or snap on expert advice from somebody who's worked on that machine before to perform complex tasks like putting a bicycle together. Imagine if you could hold, you had all the bicycle parts and you could hold your iPhone up and see the parts in front of you and had some, something on the screen that would say, take this part and put it here. Check you did it correctly. Oh, nope, you did it incorrectly. Try again. That kind of coaching and inspection for quality as well as for compliance, hugely valuable. Now think it's a medical device. You're going out to repair a plasma machine. The technician goes out to work on that machine. They want to perform the task for repair, and whoever's using it needs to know that repair was done properly. The technician is given instructions on their screen, but their work is also captured to demonstrate compliance if that's ever necessary. That is so cool. I had no idea that's what you guys did. I did not get that from your homepage. <laughs> that's why we're the round, cool building next to the square building. Yeah. And how big is PTC? We have uh, just under 7,000 employees around the world. In terms of um, financially, we just announced our third quarter earnings. We're, we are on target for about $2 billion in annual recurring revenue, growing at 16%, which is kind of twice the category rate of companies like us. So we're we're big, strong, and profitable. One thing that's cool, our CEO said to us uh, just this morning, when we get out of bed at the beginning of the new year, 90% of our number will have been made because so many of our customers buy every year and renew every year on multiple year contracts. That is really awesome. You know, I think one of the undertones of this conversation that I haven't explicitly you know, address so far. How are you so good at storytelling? More specifically, how do you practice? I don't know how to communicate and not use storytelling. Maybe I need to be a better listener. 
No. How do you build your stories? Like you have these stories, they come out well. I know because I'll go around and give talks and I'll, you know, polish out a specific story. But when, if you're not on a talk circuit, are you just doing that throughout your meetings? Like how do you refine your explanations and analogies and all of that? Well, I try to take a look at who I'm talking with. So you're a dad in Nashville with three young kids. And I was going to guess you had a mix of two and one. You probably are in that mode of building tree houses. You have to think what is something that's going to be accessible and going to, you know, become a visual for my listener. If I'm talking to, if I'm talking to my mother, I use a different set of analogies. If I'm talking to a street audience, I, I use a different set. But I try and really think about what's going to be in the mind of the listener and where are they going to see the light and where are they going to see the dark and get confused. Mm-hmm. And it's organic. It's it's not something that's scripted. You know, you have to think organically about what would spark the curiosity of your listener. And you can, you can see when they go off on a mental bike ride right away. That's interesting. I have a story that I've been using at work effectively, and it's gotten a little bit viral. Maybe I can share that with you. Yes, please. I'm going to guess you were not alive in 1961. Correct. Do you know who the president was in 1961? No. Kennedy. Okay. Do you know who preceded Kennedy? Nope. Eisenhower. We all got, you know, we knew Washington Jefferson. We did, We kind of got to that last chapter of the book and we went to summer vacation. We never finished it. Yeah. Do you know what the mood of the country was like when the transition happened from Eisenhower to Kennedy? No, I do not. Well, in 1957, Sputnik and Yuri Gagarin and the Soviets were out in space and we were flat footed on the ground. People were building bomb shelters in their backyards because mm-hmm. they were afraid of nuclear fallout. Kids were taught to duck and cover, not for active shooter, but because the Russians were coming. Kennedy came into office, and most of the conventional wisdom in politics was we need to spend every dime we have on our national defense. And Eisenhower was known for highways and the military-industrial complex. Kennedy said, we're going to spend what it takes to put a man on the moon. People said, that's crazy. You're, you're, di- you're taking away resources from our most precious mission, which is national safety, on some crazy tilting at windmills idea to put somebody on the moon. And he said that famous speech in 1961, we choose to go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And if you think back, we didn't get to the moon during Kennedy's lifetime. We got to the moon shortly thereafter, but he was assassinated before we got to the moon. And yet, if you look at all the byproducts of those NASA investments that he catalyzed, I have a son who's type 1 diabetes, so, you know, the insulin pump, Velcro, never mind Tang, if you've heard of Tang. Oh, yeah. Scratch-proof lenses, uh, Tempur-Pedic mattresses, all of those were byproducts of the space race. And so by challenging our thinkers to think big and dream big, he was able to catalyze some incredible bursts of innovation with this moonshot mission. I was talking to our partners and to our sellers and said, we need to think big as well. We've been really looking small at the different pieces of software that we can provide to our clients, and we're forgetting that they need to think big about how they're going to transform their businesses to remain competitive and all the new technologies that are available to them, whether they're in our category or not. How could we define some moonshot ideas? And then if our client has their moonshot ideas, how are they going to fund and afford to advance those? 
It turns out we make a little piece of software that's not very expensive that a factory can use to identify where there are slowdowns in the factory production line. And factories care a lot about this because it's very hard to spot surgically where things slow down and cause delays that may take the the line down. It's very hard to understand that at scale. When we run this equivalent of an MRI machine across a factory line, rather than telling them, here's your blood pressure, we can say, here's where you need to put a stent. And we give them back throughput between 15 and 30% in their factory. So for an organization that makes missile casings for bombs going to Ukraine, they're able to produce four more units a year than they did before off a single line. That's about $2 billion worth of improvement for them by putting a surgical insertion of a little piece of technology. For a contract manufacturer, we can help them free up 3 to $4 million per factory that was trapped in inefficient operations by spotting very simple things that recurred and giving them a surgical fix. So by pinpointing a problem and providing a fix, we release a ton of value that our customer can then redeploy on their own moonshots. So for some of our customers, how am I going to use generative AI to transform the way I produce these products as a contract manufacturer? There's no secret pot of money under the president's desk to fund experimentation in AI. But if our little piece of software can release that value back for them to redeploy in other ways, that's a massive piece of value that we bring independent of the kind of day in and day out work we do. I called this our moonshot. And I went and spoke with our partners, particularly EY, the former Ernst & Young, Mm -hmm. and most recently with Accenture. They love this idea of a moonshot. Dell got involved. Microsoft got involved. And now we're offering solutions together that we call manufacturing throughput as a service. And it's specifically to free up value that's trapped in inefficient operations and creative team can use to fund their own moonshots. That is brilliant. Throughput as a service. The key thing, though, is thinking about the moonshot. We're so used to talking as techies with our customers about the specifics of how data flows from the CAD system into the PLM system, into the factory and out to service. We forget that our clients care about the livelihoods of their people and their businesses and how they're going to serve their customers better with these incredible opportunities, but also incredibly threatening technologies like generative AI. Have you been messing around with MidJourney at all? I have not. Mid-journey. Yeah, mid-journey, M-I-D-journey. You actually communicate to it through Discord, and then it's like a bot you talk to. Well, rather than me just telling you, why don't I just show you? So I said to it, here's what I said to it. I said, 2023, Ford F50, 3-inch lift, custom wrap, modern, digital camo, American flag, muted green, and look what it came up with. Oh, wow, that is cool. That's a great-looking truck, too. And it looks, like, legit. It looks like it actually exists, and that was in, like, 30 seconds. That is going to completely change the game for copy on our GPT stuff that we use or image generation. It's it's bonkers. Well, I was really inspired when Peter Diamantes published that Be Bold, that Bold book. Have you read that book? From no. 15 years ago? He argued that the democratization of technology with the ubiquitous access to internet and broadband access and almost limitless compute in the cloud would allow people to collaborate on big problems in ways that they'd never collaborated with before. 
and he invented the X Prize. Said, I want to get out oh. into space. The team that can get a machine with people into space, back down safely and up again in two weeks' time will win a million dollars. And I have applied that same bold thinking. How can we crowdsource ideas? How can we get people who are non-traditional experts to collaborate on big problems and come up with ideas you might never have thought of? And I believe uh -huh. in that abundance. And you look at the way these generative AI systems are allowing people to unlock creativity that was trapped behind traditional learning models or traditional ways of thinking or expressing yourself with a keyboard or a or in math and in science, all these kind of limiting things that got in the way of being able to really express the ideas that you have. It's just taking those barriers away. Exactly the case. So I have these visions in my head and I can see it, but there's about a decade of designer experience between me and making that thing I see in my head, just like with music. Yeah, I've been playing for like seven, 10 years now actively. And so I, my whole goal when learning music was to make the things I hear in my head be able to come out of my hands. That was like my goal. And because once you do that, it's this weird freedom of creating in real time. It's beautiful. And so now the fact that I can go write a paper and sound like an amazing author and hit all the key points, that's wonderful. And I can go make a design that looks beautiful. It's just going to enable, it's going to put a premium on the people that do. I think it's People who have discipline and who can take action, they're going to be the real winners because it's going to amplify them. And also the people who are hungry but don't have the skills yet, it's going to just shove those people up. It's going to reduce the time for them to become an expert. And then once they are expert, it's just going to be lethal in their hands. And then it's going to leave the thing we have to consider and think about is the group of people that will just be sitting around twiddling their thumbs and how that's going to respond, <laughs> how we're going to deal with that. Well, you know... If we had enough time, we'd talk about the relevance of the nation state in yeah. this age of, you know, accessible technology and penetrable borders. And uh, it's, I think there is, I think you're right there. We have this crazy economic divide, right? Where the, the two ends are, are stretching out to such far extremes. And yet you would, you see the same thing with knowledge work, right? You have mm -hmm. people who are total brain workers and people who are hands-on workers. And then you have people who are left out entirely because they don't operate in the traditional ways or they don't have the same abilities that other people have. But if these technologies can help not just change who wins, but also keep people from losing, it should democratize things much differently. It's going gonna, it's gonna to shake up a lot of politics, that's for sure. 100%. I'm an optimist when it comes to this, but I'm also a realist. So when I think about all of the change happening with AI and these jobs and all this stuff coming and going... What I think about is, well, first of all, it's been happening since the beginning of time where industries come in. The difference now is it's compressed the scale of, of how quickly it'll happen. Like we right. can wake up tomorrow and watch a whole industry die overnight. Whereas when cars and horses did their flip, that you know took some time. You could kind of see it coming, all of that good stuff. So you know, it's just going to speed up. Those stone chiselers are still pretty upset about Gutenberg and the printing press. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a call to action. I'd love to put in and plug. What's the call to action? You know, let's talk moonshots. What does your company want to do? Have you thought about some moonshot thinking? We have this very cool office that inspires creativity. We've got all kinds of cool equipment literally on the shop floor up on the 17th floor. Come to my house. I'll pay for the catering. We'll do some moonshot <laughs> thinking and then find a way to fund it through some of our software. That's brilliant. 
And how can people go about that? They track you down on LinkedIn. They just type in Wolfie in the search bar. I hope I'm the only Wolfie on LinkedIn, but you never know. <laughs> I've got a lot of bar t-shirts that say Wolfie people have sent me over the years. Uh, I am Chris Wolf, C-H-R-I-S-W-O-L-F-F, no E, but chwolf at ptc.com is my email. I'm at Chris underscore Wolf on Twitter. Would love to connect up with anybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.